Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of History After Hours. My name is Kevin Pumphrey, and with me, like normal, is Mr. Ron Franklin. We are recording this on December 7th, 2023, live at Collective Coffee in front of a bunch of our students. We also have, for the first time, Mr. Lewis Jolly on our podcast. He's another history teacher at Lakeside, and we were very happy to have him on as well. So, with all that, the students ask tons of different types of questions. And uh, yeah, we had a great time, so we hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, we are live at Collective Coffee. We have students in front of us. They're going to ask some very deep and meaningful and life-changing questions. Look how enthused they are. We're getting close to the holidays. Hey, y'all clap real quick to let everybody know that you're here. Real quick. There he is. All right. All right, we have our first question. State your name and ask your question, please. Hello, my name is Joshua Weed, and I was wondering which memory in your entire life would you most want to relive? Well, when you, you know, you hear about people being born, like my, when my child was born, I was just sitting there terrified. I don't know that I would want to relive <laughs> that moment because I literally was just sitting there helpless and terrified when my daughter was born. Um, you know, hitting a game-winning three, now that I could relive, you know, something like that. But, I mean, it, the thing about having a child, which it is the most important moment, it, it takes a minute for that to sink in. It's really like, you know, week two after you get, you know, a couple hours of sleep finally that you can actually enjoy that experience. But um, when I think about my high school days, it, was, it always involved sports to some degree. And there's obviously some great moments from that part. It's hard to, it's hard to draw just one, man, because I'm old and I've got a lot of things to think about, you know. Uh, on the childbirth thing, for just a second, I, the the most joyous moment—the birth of a child—and you've been waiting for all of you know the, the, to receive this person and know them and you know all the things that they might be. But I but I think that the time that I was stunned the most in that scenario was after the fact when everything had calmed down and people had gone away, and then they brought the the little bassinet thing in, and here we are in the room, just the three of us. You know, they close the door. Okay, if you need anything, and then you just sort of realize. Okay, I'm responsible for this human being and its well-being, and this is a—it's a—I remember that moment clearly. It's a game changer. It was like, "Yep, this is real." You know, all the preparation, all the books, and all the whatever you've done didn't—you're was like, mm, "It's a stunning moment, actually." So, but do I want to relive that? I don't know. I was, I was kind of terrified at that moment, actually. So, honestly, if I was going to relive something, it's probably something. It would have to be relationship-wise. But probably standing in Maui watching our first sunset, like that's a pretty great moment. Am I the only grandfather up here? No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'd say mine is probably the when my granddaughter, my first granddaughter, I have three, when she figured out what she was going to call me. Oh, that's a good one. We have a wooden door in our house and a little, those little magnets you put on the refrigerator. And my son wanted her to call me Papa Lou. And so she was sitting there, and she just started yelling, Papu, help, Papu, Papu, Papu. <laughs> and that has stuck, and that stuck with three. You're Papu? I'm Papu, which is Greek for grandfather. We are not Greek, but my granddaughter is brilliant. So there's that. <laughs> Let's go with that, yeah. Yes. I'm Pop Pop. Pop uh-huh. Pop and Papu up here. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, All right. What, you know what's your, your game-winning three, is your, or was it your daughter? I couldn't. I got confused. No, my daughter, I, it's too blurry, and I was too scared. <laughs> Sports in high school would have been the thing. And then, like you said, those relationship moments when, you know, I remember being in Rome for the first time and that kind of thing, you know, when you're seeing stuff together for the first time. But like you said, there's, I can't just pinpoint there's just one outstanding moment. And when you get our age, there should be hopefully multiple. Mm. The, the hard part now, I believe, is just trying to live in the moment. Right. To me, that's the challenge of life is trying to enjoy this moment instead of, because as history teachers, we dwell a lot in the past, which can be... Not great. You also don't want to be too futuristic. And we do that by nature, just by evolution. We think about the future. But, man, is it difficult for us to figure out a way to just enjoy this moment right here. This is the only one we're guaranteed. That's a really hard struggle. You think that's the key to happiness, really? Just, like, be here and now and not worry about, don't dwell on what was and don't predict too far because you never know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm on stage getting to do what I love to do, which is play music. 
And I'm just thinking about the next song. I'm thinking about the next thing we have to, the next hard part on the bass. What are the lyrics to the next? Instead of being able just to take a second and enjoy getting to do what I love to do. So, yeah, I just try, that's the challenge. Since you brought up the whole music thing, you, you've been on stage like a billion times probably because you've been in multiple bands for all these years. Do you have a, uh, a moment where you kind of go, oh, I'm a rock star? Or do you, do you ever get to enjoy no, that? No. no, but I mean, seriously, I mean, do you ever get to go, uh, this is I mean, so many people would sort of picture themselves in that role or, oh, it's a, it's a bucket list thing. I want to do this. You ever get on stage and just go, man, this is freaking awesome. Yeah. You ever, do you ever get that? I definitely have those moments where I'm like, man, I'm lucky because I remember being 19. I grew up in church singing and playing and all that, but I remember seeing a live band when I was 19 going, man, if I could just be one of those people. I wasn't good enough and I definitely didn't have the confidence, but I just remember thinking if I could be one of those guys and I've been one of those guys now for 20 years, so like to be up in front of a crowd that's, you know, having fun and and I'm getting to do what I do. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, you have to. But I, there are two, there's nights where I go multiple shows over and over again where I never think that. But then all of a sudden it'll it'll hit me and it'll be worth it. Take the opposite of what Josh said. Anything that you would go, oh, I'd never want to do that again. Yeah, you know, you think of deaths and funerals and friends and family that, you know, that's that's what immediately comes to mind, you know. You know, I remember when my stepfather passed, we were very close, and my mother asked me to give the eulogy. You know, I cherish that moment. I wouldn't want to relive it, but I cherish it. You know, that's that's the thing you, you talked about earlier is learning how to live in the moment and having good perspective on things is, you know, even even some disappointing moments can give you some good memories and you learn to appreciate those things. I mean, yeah, I'm a I'm an old coach. But, you know, we went to Pine Bluff in the playoff game, and we lost. But, you know, as I was talking to one of their coaches, like, man, I'm so, so awesome to play on this field. And there's a lot of good things that happen there, and a lot of people that I remember reading about and coaches reading about and players reading about. And just, man, that's pretty neat to just be in that spot. And maybe that's the history teacher in me because yeah, I like that stuff. But Well, that's a life lesson for you, folks. Just turn something that people could turn into a negative and just say, you know, I'm going to flip that. What can I learn from this? And then you can turn it into a positive. That's a life skill. All right, cool. You got another one? Or are you ready? Nope. All right, come on up. My name is uh, Robert Bledsoe. Would you rather be stuck in a mall with a gorilla or like 10 black mambas for like a week? A gorilla? Or ten black mambas. Yeah. Is like, there a sporting goods store? Yeah, like can I probably, get weapons to defend myself? Some of that, yeah. Yeah, the mambas. <laughs> you got a hockey stick. Well, maybe. I mean, like you're just sleeping. You don't know when they're gonna. Mm. And you got to fuel up on caffeine. You got to stay awake because the hunt's on, right? They're yeah. gonna, it's either you or them, right? Yeah. So let's take them all at once. Let's have the gorillas and the mambas. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean. By nature, gorillas aren't quite as aggressive as we think they are. So I'm, if I can get in one side, close the door, you know, maybe. Yeah, the, the snakes could be anywhere. Lots are off, one bite. I don't know, though. That gorilla, if it starts eyeing me, there's, there's nothing you can do. But, like, you you and the gorilla will get hungry. So, Jelly, thoughts on it? The gorillas or mambas? Yeah, I might rethink. I went mamba at first, but the sleeping thing does concern me. Yeah. The gorilla, you have a food court, you set up, you get your stash, you hide, let the gorilla eat, and just avoid the gorilla. It's yeah. a whole mall, right? Yeah. Is it a hot springs mall where it's kind of deserted or a real mall? <laughs> no, no. Like, there's nobody there, but it's a real mall. Real mall. Yeah, I go gorilla. I could make friends with the gorilla, maybe. If I have enough food, hey, buddy, come on, let's play catch. Here's a banana. Whatever. Yeah, like, they, right. They, they have an intelligence, right? You, you can't yeah. domesticate a black mamba. Right. Are you afraid hey, buddy, of snakes? Yeah. You afraid? No? I'm not. Okay. All right. Do you, do you since you brought that up, do you have a choice? Uh, I'll probably like go with the black mamas and yeah, you know, get a hockey stick and just yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. smack them out of there. All right, sweet. All right, that's a th- <laughs> we've never been asked that. Nope. My name is Mason McElrath, and I was wondering, um, with the current shift of advertisement towards our military, do you think that's going to have a positive or negative impact? Our advertisement towards yes. the military, like be be more. I'm not sure what you mean. What do you mean? Well. More specifically, how used to it was, if you're big, bad, and, big, bad, and tough, come join the military, but okay. now it's, well, I don't want to be rude, but if you mean, I've come from more girl with two moms type family, advertisement like that. So more inclusive military, yes, is that what you inclusive. mean? Inclusive. Will that have an impact on our ability to 
defend or to keep yes. the strength of our military up? Is yes. that what you're asking? Yeah, I, I don't know if that does. I mean, I know you're talking about the one army slogan. and Yes. Yeah. I'm a military kid. My, my father retired military. And you look at things like the military and the... Uh, the decline in participation because we are a volunteer service. I don't, I don't know if it's a nature of recruitment, advertising, and, and messaging. It's the people that I know and, and talk to a lot. It's a couple things. We were in a very lengthy engagement, 20 years of war. A large majority of military-serving individuals come from military families. It's generational you know someone that's in the military, you're related to someone in the military. Uh, with the 20-year engagement in Afghanistan, Iraq, the money spent, the lack of progress that was made after we, we and the way we left that engagement uh, has soured a lot of people. And so you have older military men that I'm close with would say, I would never let my child go into the military. My father... Uh, was from the Vietnam War era, and he was very against me going into the military as an option. He just didn't want me to do that. He said, you, you do anything else, you go to college first, and then you decide, that's fine. But, and he was a recruiter later, and he refused to let me go in the military. So I don't know if it's so much more about the messaging. Does that help people? Sure. Does it turn some people off? Probably, but... It might be more of the, the last 20 years of what we've been through as a military as opposed to a particular message. I would throw in there, too, that our military was heavily segregated all the way up through World War II. And part of the messaging during that time was that we've got to be all in this together. Like, it, we have to be unified regardless of whatever your background happens to be. And so they pushed for that inclusivity as far as race goes during World War II and then afterwards when the military was fully integrated. But there were commentary in questions just like you just asked at that time too. Is this going to weaken the overall defenses? Are people going to want to fight alongside each other in whatever theater that we find ourselves in next? And come to find out, it actually made us stronger. So I would say time will tell, you know, but those same kind of questions have popped up before. And advertising is PR. It's trying to gain support to the side of the spectrum where you need more support. The left generally might be less supportive of the military than the right historically. We've always been a nation that supported our troops. Of course, there's been anti-war protests after Vietnam, kind of the first real one. We've had some, of course, now we, have a, we still have an enormous military budget. But there's a couple other factors, too. We have a lot of different special ops. There's, there's all sorts of special, tra- you know, Army Rangers and Green Berets and Navy SEALs and, and all of that. So when you're just talking about just the Army or the Navy, you know, and also do we, you know, with technology and drones and all that, the sheer numbers might not be as necessary today as it was 20 years ago as well. So I think there's, it's so nuanced and multi. I can understand why they're shifting their advertising a little bit to try to keep that public and political support for that military budget. The bigger question to me is, are we completely hamstrung by this military budget, the military industrial complex? If we did reduce military spending, would our whole economy go down? Because, you know, you got to understand, when we pulled out of Afghanistan and we weren't really engaged, there was a lot of eyebrows going up. And then the Ukraine thing happened, and I think a lot of people sighed some relief because then that, that manufacturing, and that's a lot of private business, not just military. I mean, those are government contracts by billions of dollars that go to private business that hire hundreds of thousands of people. So it's a very complicated, it's so huge too. I mean, we are lucky we live in a country that is voluntary, that you don't have to do two years of mandatory military service when you hit 19 or whatever, like a lot of countries do. I don't don't know how much of an effect it would have overall. Uh, Hi, my name's Molly Outler. And I was just wondering, how do you think Willy Wonka and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory got away with murdering four of the five golden ticket winners and their parents especially because it was such a like a big worldwide event how do you think he got away with it show me the bodies (laughs) but like people saw them go in like they recorded them going in but they never recorded them going out so there gotta be questions like where did they go are you talking about the movie or have you are you talking about the book the movie well there's 
in the in the one that we saw originally way back in the like the seven Gene, Gene, uh, Gene Wilder version, Gene they that don't one. show them again. That's true. But in that newer one with uh, Johnny Depp, they show them coming out. Although they were like skewered, I think yeah, in different ways, yeah. stretched and flopped. But I, I, I think the implication was that they were okay. I, I mean, I, maybe I just inferred that. What did I don't know. Yeah, well, did, did, I'm talking about the original, the original? like the seventies. Yeah, like, yeah they, just, they didn't. You didn't see them again. That's true. But I don't know that there was. I think that was just a, an element of danger. I don't know that it was. I've never read the book, so I don't know how they dealt with that there. Maybe they didn't talk about it again. Bias accepting the golden ticket was there implied consent of. Harm? Well, oh, at no, the, no, 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 didn't they have to sign that little thing? Yeah, at the oh, very beginning of the movie, they made them sign this yeah. giant long thing where there's like mm-hmm. little writing that they couldn't read. Yeah, well, that's, that's you know. Don't sign it. Buyer beware, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have have you ever been away. skydiving? No. No, me neither. That's why would you. But if, if you jump out of a plane and you go splat... <laughs> Is it murder or is it just stupidity for you jumping out of a plane? Well, in the movie, as you like watch through, whenever they get to like each next room, there's one less spot for each family. So he planned it out. Uh, well, I, th- I think there was a narrowing in mind. I don't know that it was actually murder. But let's just assume for a second it was. Yeah? How do you get away with it? Probably because he has lots of money and he knows people in power and... They can pay off people to look the other way. Maybe that's the answer. He controls the whole town through his industry. Are people expendable? The Oompa Loompas were. The, uh, he, well, no, he saved the Oompa Loompas. Yeah, Loompa Loompas. I think we call that exploitation today. <laughs> You're not going to weigh in? He has nothing. <laughs> You're not going to weigh in at all? The Willy Wonka. Isn't there a new Wonka movie coming out? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the prequel or something. A prequel? How he became the exploiter murderer that you're referencing? I always kind of thought he was cool, but I didn't. I never thought about him as a murderer. That didn't. I didn't strike. It didn't strike me that way. I, uh, you know. Uh, but I know. I'll say this too. I, so in that movie, they kind of got what they deserved. Like those little kids were. Yeah. Hey, kid, don't do that. Did it anyway. Dies. Well, you know what? Sucks to suck. I mean, really. Like, realistically, I'm thinking like, uh, was it like natural selection? Right. You just deserved to because you didn't follow the rules. You did the wrong thing. You did exactly the opposite of the right thing. As a matter of fact. And then it comes around and bites you in the ass, and now you're dead, and so what? It's on you. Okay. <laughs> so, but take that point, you know, the movie Seven. Have you seen the movie Seven? Oops. But, yeah. They're a little yeah. young for that. They're a little young for that. Don't watch it until you're a couple years older. But the serial killer killed people using the seven deadly sin that they were guilty of, air right. quotes. Yeah. So what makes him a serial killer and Willy Wonka a, just a business owner? Is there a difference? Mm-hmm. Are you just upset because he was playing God, the God of Chocolate? Pumphrey has not said a word. Just, I'm, I'm, yeah. Have you never okay, seen so this movie? Do you not know what I'm talking about? I, I know of Willy the Wonka. Gene Wilder. Okay. okay. And I didn't really get it, didn't really watch it. Then the Johnny Depp movie came out and I watched it. I was like, I don't really. I just, you need for to see whatever the reason. I mean, that I, sets the stage. He owns a chocolate factory. Murder. A little crazy. All right. Well, <laughs> this is a holly jolly podcast. Aren't we so, yeah. so, so enlightening? All right. Hello. Hi, um, I'm Delaney, and my question is, if you were to form your own political interest group, what, would that, what movement would that group support? Yeah, campaign the, finance uh, reform. Campaign finance yeah, reform. that's a good one, yeah. I've always kind of had the feeling that if we don't figure out a way to get some of the enormous amount of money in politics to get elected, because you're bought and paid for once you take office, so it's like, what can you get done? You have to... Okay, here's a, here's a stat. From 30 years ago or 40 years ago, Congress people spent 75% of their time working on bills and legislation, and the other percent, 25%, trying to get money. Now it's flip-flopped. 75% of their time is spent on the phone getting donations. The real famous Congress people that you know about, the reason that they're famous is because they have big donors giving them money because they're really good at getting on the phone and trying to get money. I mean, the whole scheme is about how much money can I raise, and if you give me a million dollars, then I'm, I'm, I will do your bidding. I'll sign my name on the dotted line. Until we figure out that, I don't know how we can make big changes that need to be made. So, to me, campaign finance reform... Well, I think to go all hand-in-hand hand with that, though, it's going to have to be this uh, to reverse this lack of transparency, because you don't know... I think I brought this up with a class earlier today. Who owns your senator or, or congressperson? You don't know. 
Uh, and they've passed legislation to make sure that they are able to hide that. So you don't know who the big financial donors are. You don't know who the lobbyists are. You don't know who the people who are influencing their decisions are. You don't know how they're getting paid, perhaps under the table, for the decisions that they're making uh, through campaign funding or whatever, or some pet project that they've got going on. Like, I, I agree. Money's, money is the, is the, uh, the love of money is the root of all political evil. Uh, so I even think a lot of these one. newer parties like the forward party or the, the one where they take a Republican and a Democrat to try to balance, like they won't reveal their donors and they, they use it and they say, well, we're, we, we want to protect their identities. Okay. But still we don't know where the money's coming from. Show me the money, the money trail will, I, well, we were in the Vatican one time and we were, they were giving us a tour and they go, and they were talking about the different popes that were elected. And then he said, you know, if you want to know who the next pope is, just look at the money. And we'd never thought about that, how, right. how they also were funded and financed, and the, mo the, the most financed and well-connected cardinals became pope. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course, just like in politics, because that is a political election as well, you know. Now, it also have a, has a religious thing, of course, but, and I'm not trying to take that away. But it's still a lot of money's involved in so much. And if that was transparent, mm -hmm. then maybe there could be enough public outcry to actually limit some of this. I was really stunned when I learned what you said a while ago for the first time, that, that new Congress people, one of the first things they are taught to do is get out, off the floor and go back to your office and start making phone calls. And if you can be a fundraiser, then we'll continue to give you appointments. Like the, the guys who have the most committee appointments, the guys who have the most power and prestige, are, you're exactly right, are the guys who are able to raise the most money. And then they are then rewarded for that financial gain that the party then gets in to, to uh, utilize for themselves. It's, a, it's to spend the majority of your time as a, Cong as a person in a legislature, legislature fundraising as opposed to working for the people that you, that, who got you there. Like that really is uh, very backwards. And, and we know uh, someone who was running against a Republican in this state, with that, and they were a Democrat, of course, and they were trying to get the support of the Democrat National Party, you know, to get the machine behind them to mm -hmm. really give them a chance. Right. And they, they kept calling, no callback. When they finally got the callback, this is somebody that was running for a national seat in, from Arkansas. Yeah, somebody we know. In the House, and, and they said the first question from the Democratic National Party was, how much money can you raise? And if you couldn't raise, like, it was like 150000 they wouldn't even mess with you. It wasn't about ideology. It wasn't about political plans. It wasn't about infrastructure. It wasn't about helping people. It wasn't about social. It wasn't about education. It wasn't about improving anything. It was about how much damn money can you raise? That's politics right now. And that's bloated and dysfunctional. But don't we have transparency? That would be my thing. We have anti-transparency laws. Yeah, we have anti-transparency laws. And if you think we, about what the governor we, just did here in this state to try to cut even more of the... the I mean, in this state, we have one of the... One of the, the, the biggest uh, avenues the, the for transparency, FOIA, yeah. yeah, the FOIA yeah. stuff. But that's but she very much tried to run that through, and then got called on it by our own people. But we have we have independent journalists. We have is anybody on Twitter X anything like that besides me? I'm still I'm still on X on yeah. X on, yeah. on X. You know, uh, there there's groups on there that track donors. They track trades by Congress people that are technically illegal or against code of ethics for the for congress and and the u.s government officials or whatever even if you call and, and, somebody out but though they're gonna take their time it. getting rid yeah. of them look at the george santos story so I mean, that, that dude was absolutely corrupt yeah and they took they took their sweet time trying to figure out whether they were going to boot him out why because he had he was able to raise money and they needed his vote but that's why i think term limits would be my biggest thing because even though even though, okay, you can make stuff transparent, but why do we keep electing the same people over and over? If there we, was we, more transparency, then maybe we wouldn't elect the same fools over and over again. Yeah, I think there is transparency. I, I know there's yeah, chicken or egg. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> they say chicken or egg? Chicken but, you know, if you, if you know you only have X amount of time you think that So you place, think that people wouldn't... That takes some pressure off of you, doesn't it? Well, maybe, but at the, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if, if you go into, I mean, the whole... You go into Congress and you're, you you make how much a year and you come out worth seventy million dollars. Fifty years dream. later, is that well transparency help that they have rules against trading, but yet it goes on. They have rules against insider trading. Yeah, and insider. I'm not pointing fingers at any particular party. I think it's happening at both levels. Oh, it's both, both levels. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I think those are both problem. one or two. I mean, either one of those. Would yeah. All right. 
All right. Good question. <laughs> Next question. Hi, my name is Brenna, and my question is, what student that you've had has impacted you the most, and how? I, I have one. I have a, this was years ago. I was coaching wrestling, and I used to be a very fiery individual with my language, maybe. And we were wrestling practice, and I was going, I was going, and um, had a very good wrestler, senior, been around him for years. I could talk to him however I wanted to, and it just slid off his back. And his sister was wrestling for us as a seventh grader, and I was just, just hammering him. He just comes up to me and says, you know, I don't care if you talk to me like that, but should you talk to my sister like that? Should you say that stuff around her? I was like, oh, that's interesting, because he goes, you know, maybe you got to change your message depending on... And that's what he was telling me. I needed to change my tone depending on who I'm around and it used to just be this is why I do it I don't care and he he opened my eyes a lot of how to talk to different kids and so that influenced me greatly sometimes I do yeah he influenced me a lot just my approach to different individuals because I get all the time from a soccer player a girl soccer player why don't you why don't you talk to us like you talk to the boys? I said, Well, I don't talk to all the boys the same way either. It's you have to find that that individual connection. And he made me realize that just one way is not the right way. You know, this is an interesting question because as students, when you get older, you'll remember your teachers, but you'll only remember certain little things. We talk all day and you don't you you, you ignore ninety nine percent of it. But then we'll say something that we'll never remember saying. And it'll, for some reason, it'll latch on to you because of the mood you were in that day or what we said or how it impacted you. And you'll remember that for years and years. And so me thinking now about past students, and I, by the way, I did have a former student who became my lead guitar player two years later. Now, I was only 24, and they were 19. I started teaching pretty young. But, um, so that was a pretty influ- impactful student on me. But I, but I also can think of a lot of other students that just did, said one little thing that stuck with me you know, for years that changed the way I taught maybe because of just one comment. And I can think of a few. And then it's the, the funny examples. I, I had a world history wall, people, and I'll never forget this kid's name was Alan. He sat in the first row because I put him in alphabetical order and he looked at the wall and he said, who's Charlie McNee? <laughs> and he meant Charlemagne. But it stuck with me, Charlie McNee, and I just laughed about that. And I, think, I still think about that once a year, you know. So it is interesting when you think about, because, you know, at this point we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students, but you remember these little things that come up in your consciousness. So that's just interesting how memory works like that. Um, one of my first years teaching at a different district, I was a little older. I was in my, I was in my early 30s when I started teaching. And I had a student who was... Uh, who struggled with the uh, academics, and I, and I knew that going in. And, and I knew the student was distracted. I didn't quite know why. I was trying to figure out what to do. And as a young teacher, I wasn't quite sure how to approach things. or you know. But this kid who's normally kind of iffy on a day-in, day-out basis about whether they're going to pay attention or whether they're going to turn stuff in or whatever, and trying to figure out how to help kids. But she came in one day, and she said, very, very bluntly before class starts, she's like, you can't get me in trouble today. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's good to know. I wasn't planning on getting you in trouble, but thanks. You know, let's do our thing. And so she sat down. But she, can't, she said that more than once. I just, you can't, I, no matter what, no matter what happens today, no matter what I say tomorrow, you can't get me in trouble. And I was like, that's okay, cool. Great, let's right, focus. I mean, I'm, thanks for sharing. But so I, I did, so I was confused by that. After school, I went to, the, um, to our resource officer who dealt with a lot of the kids who had troubles at home or whatever. And I said, listen, hey, she said this. And so do you know anything about that? And he said, yeah, she, uh, at home last night, somebody broke into their living room and shot her cousin. And she watched him die. And I was obviously taken aback by that. And it made me realize, without her actually trying to, I think, impact me specifically, but that scenario impacted me because I have to figure out how to help a student who may be beyond my help. In in what world would she care about people who died hundreds of years ago in the little stories I'm telling 
How can I make that relevant to her when she's gone through something like that and still had the guts to come to school the next day? And so I've always been aware of the fact that everybody comes to school with a different story. Everybody comes to school with a different, not just background, but you know what's happening relevantly to them in the moment. And and for me to stand there and and demand this and demand that, I've got I I, I was very I'm very flexible with certain things because I try to understand that you may never know what people are going through, and and, and yet it can have a huge impact on whether they are with you that day or whether they're not. And if I can provide some sort of safe place for them to escape whatever crap is going on, perhaps, and and be real and be relevant and be there for them in whatever capacity I can, and that's why I'm really there. The academics will take care of itself, but I'm really there to support people, and that's the most impactful thing that I've seen happen. Yeah, well said. Hi, my name is Morgan, and I was wondering what y'all's hidden talents were. Hidden talents? What's your hidden talent? <laughs> Can you, you yodel? Do you have any yodeling skills? I don't know. You can sing. Can you yodel? Hey, yeah, no, no longer hidden. I mean, I beatbox, but that's not really hidden because everybody's heard me do it. Yeah, do something. I mean, I do that in class just when I'm thinking of something. 90s. Mmm, <laughs> hidden, hidden talent. Hidden talent. What constitutes a talent? <laughs> just like anything that you find like interesting, I guess. That's hidden. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Name all the states in alphabetical order. Um, <laughs> this is a. This kind of brings up a question. Before, while y'all think about it, um, is like what? What's more impressive, talent or skill? Talent, something you're genetically kind of born with, your athletic ability or your musical ability or whatever ability you kind of already have a knack for, or someone who really has developed this skill with maybe limited talent. Um, I've always found people that, that have really, cause, cause look, I have done very little work on my musical ability. My parents gave me a lot of it. I have a natural rhythm. I have natural tone. I have relative pitch. Um, so I didn't have to work nearly as hard as other people, but I'm not nearly as talented as my sister who has perfect pitch, but I'm always impressed by somebody who just, they went from here to, you know, to make, you know, to work at it. So talent versus skill is interesting to me. Hidden uh, talent? I, you know... You're an artist, aren't you? I have an art degree, and I uh, worked as a graphic designer at one time, at, um, independently. It's it's really hidden, because I don't have any time to do it. That's My wife and I were actually having this conversation the other day, because she is very artistic as well. I, I, don't, I, I don't have time to do that much anymore, and so it kind of irritates me that I feel like I may be losing that skill, because I don't get a chance to, to uh, practice as often as I'd like to. But yeah, so that'd probably be the one. Yeah. I won a dunk contest as a teacher. That was something that I can't do now. I could dunk a basketball flat-footed when I, until I was 30, and then it went downhill from there. Jolly? Ooh, hidden talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you? Being yeah. untalented, is that a talent? <laughs> no, I can't do that, but I often have people, and I think, and I love this, I take it as a compliment. I have, especially kids, will tell me, you know, you're, you're nothing what I thought you was going to be. I thought you were going to be mean. I didn't like you when I had, when I saw you on my schedule. I was scared, and then they. So I guess maybe the ability to connect to, to people that. You go. No, my name is Jolly. You? Why are you afraid of me? Grow up with the name Jolly and did see you have, how did Jolly you, have, did you really are. Did you have are. to be like gruff because of that? You think? Well, imagine I mean, imagine imagine being sixteen, seventeen years old in the. 80s and 90s and the last name Jolly at Christmas time. Back when bullying, I have embraced it now. Yeah. Back when bullying into was it, not, lean into it. When bullying it was encouraged. When bullying yes. was encouraged, yeah. Whatever your thing is that if it's true, people make fun of it and it's true, just lean into it. Do accept it, it embrace yeah. it. They'll, they'll it'll they'll quit. But it would be great to see you as a football player in high school and be like, "Get mean, Jolly. Get mean, Jolly." I would love to hear a coach say that to you. <laughs> Stop. You're, you're bullying me. All right, come on. So, what was Christmas like? Say your name. Oh, sorry. My name is Jacob Moss. And what was Christmas like for you growing up, and how has it changed now? Christmas was glorious. Well, yeah. Because we, we uh, my, my mom taught, and so we had time together as a family. My dad was gone quite a bit when I was a kid, but, but that was always kind of the special time when we sort of lumped back together, you know. But it was, uh, I don't know, I mean, I guess, maybe it was because the, the pressure was off as a kid, you know what I mean? We just waited for it. I remember the. I remember the calendar. It was like it's 25 days. We're it's never gonna get here. I remember looking at the calendar on my mom's fridge 
and going, how many days is I was counting it up and just banging my head against the wall. It's never going to get here. Now it's like, holy crap, it's only 25 days. You got so much to do and we're so busy, you know. Uh, I mean, that's probably the biggest change just because now I'm an adult and you go, meh. But as far as like the festive aspect of it, that's still the same, you know, especially with a granddaughter now. Like it was, we get to see it kind of through her eyes too. So, yeah, my Christmas was a huge deal. All the holidays were huge with my family. Grandparents go to their Christmases, have I, but we were a farm family. So we did get up and work on Christmas morning. And, you know, Santa's going to come while we're at work. <laughs> and then I'd come home. My mom would sneak back home, put all the presents on the tree, come back to the farm. Then we'd all go home and they'd be there. And I'm like, he knows we're working. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was kind of a But Yeah, it was a special time. It still is for our family. We were very, very poor at times. So Christmas now, I may, especially the granddaughters, I may spoil them a little too much. But I'm a grandfather, so it's okay. And so it's, uh, we overdo it a little bit. But now we always had something, but. That's about the only way it's changed for me. We've always enjoyed Christmas, went to midnight mass and did the caroling and stuff, and we still do some of those traditions. But, yeah, just the ability. I love I love giving presents more than I like getting them. Maybe that's the reason why. Yeah. It's fun. We like it. I've embraced it now. Papu. 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 Dang it. I thought I had it right. right. Okay. Papu. Close. Papu. Papu. What are you? Pop, pop. Pop, pop. Yeah. What will you be? Oh yeah, you got a you got a grandpa name. <laughs> Go ahead and I pick haven't one picked out. that one yet. Pa- big big Papa Pump. Honestly, it, it doesn't matter what yeah. you pick because they're going to pick their own, right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Hello, my name is Harper Pullen. Relating to holidays, what is your favorite holiday and why? I dig me some Christmas. Just and it, and it, like I said, it's because of the festive aspect of it. Yeah, I think so. Family time and all that. I actually enjoy Thanksgiving because there's no presents. I, I know that sounds <laughs> selfish. Not because, I, I mean, I really, I'm kind of like you, I, I don't care if I get presents necessarily, but the presents, sometimes for kids, that's all they see. With Thanksgiving, you, you really don't, you know, it's just getting together. Um, but I guess it really depends on your family, whether Thanksgiving would be good or not. Sometimes the presents might distract, so I'm also there. I, you know, Flag Day, that's underrated. <laughs> flag Day, everybody. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Fourth of July guy. One, America. Two, it's the only holiday when we get together as a family that nobody has to leave. Because Christmas, you have to leave. You know, your kids get married, so they have a family, spouses, all this stuff. They have to leave. We have to travel. We have to go Thanksgiving. Everyone's cooking. You eat. We got to eat the same thing four meals in a row. For <laughs> That's a personal issue I have. But, yeah, 4th of July, we, we gather we stay wherever we're at for six, eight, ten hours, and it's just good times. There's no rush. I, I don't like to be rushed. Overrated. New Year's Eve to yeah. celebrate that one second, that mm-hmm. little click. Yeah. All right, grab your coats. A trick you will learn when you get old is to set your alarm at 11.30 to wake up, celebrate, and go back to bed. Yeah. All right, I just celebrate when the South Koreans do, and I can go to bed early. Mm. There you yeah, go. that's good. A <laughs> couple more questions, three more. Um, my name is Yasmin Saker. So my question is that although we condemn the October 7th attacks, do you believe the Israeli government's retaliation over the past few weeks to be um, justifiable, especially as it has resulted in thousands of Palestinian deaths? Also, what do you think will it take for there to be a permanent ceasefire, and do you think a two-state solution is possible? How long, how long have we been talking about a two-state solution, man? Like yeah. For seemingly forever. More and more people in higher positions politically around the world are saying more and more of that needs to be the case. I don't know what it's going to take to get there, but it, it seems like there's a trend now. Really, that, that momentum seems to be shifting. And maybe this is part of the reason why. The, the, uh, the death tolls for the civilians are pretty staggering, and, I, and there's a lot of people who, are, who, who may have been supportive of uh, Israeli actions in the past who may not be so now. Uh, you've seen protests around the country and actually around the world yeah. uh, based on this too. So uh, it's definitely got people's attention. But as, as far as what will it take and what would that actually look like? Would it be Gaza and the West Bank? Would it be, would it, would it be one or the other? Uh, is Gaza even going to exist when this is all over? I don't, it's, that's, hard to, that's hard to say. With some of the stuff that we've dealt with in our lifetimes, like 9-11 or even the Russian-Ukraine thing, this to me is the most complicated 
one with the most moving parts. There's religion involved, of course. There's terrorism involved. There's oppressed people on both sides. There's innocent people on both sides. It's so complicated, and there's nuggets of truth everywhere. You can cherry-pick and go all in for one side, but then you're doing the other side a disservice. And then you have thousands of years of history to deal with. So it's not something on a podcast we can just (laughs) tie up with a bow. Um, You mean you don't have a solution? Come on now. I don't have a solution. Um, It would be nice if everyone could just get along. Um, But, you know, I I do think there's probably a more correct side, but I would rather not go into all of that because it would probably take me an hour to explain why I would say that. But at the same time, there's both sides have arguments embedded within it. So I'm just going to leave it there. And, uh, you know, complex is an understatement. It's, it is, uh, how, you know, which, which facet of that story do you, do you work on first? I, from a humanitarian standpoint, it's disastrous. It's horrific. When will that end? Can it end? Will anybody who's in the middle of all of that listen to anybody else who has cooler heads and maybe a different rationale? I, I don't know. When you have someone like, uh, and, I, and I will call uh, Netanyahu out specifically because uh, I don't know if he's trying to, to prove a point now that they've been taken off guard. There's lots of evidence now coming forward that they knew about this ahead of time or at least the potential for the attack. Didn't do anything to stem that tide. And now they're in retaliation mode and they're hunting down Hamas but how do you do that without impacting the people who are trying to flee from the violence and how do you do that without turning more people against you because of the you know the the strikes I don't I don't, there's the moving parts here I don't even know how you juggle all of that and it might be years before we really know it might be it's, yeah. it's an iceberg kind of thing we know this much and and for people just to yell with confidence I always hesitate and go oh you know it's a good lesson in like Hey, let's big ears, small mouth. Let's just listen and and really weigh things before you just start yelling one side or the other because we don't have all the evidence. We you know we're we're not there. We don't know all the ins and outs of what's happening. Well, to touch on part of my question, you know, though, like at what point do you say defending Israel equals now what's happening with the full engagement and and uh, the military actions in Gaza? Have you crossed a line between we're defending to now we're attacking and punishing? And, and innocent people caught up in the mix like that's well nine eleven caused a 20 year oh, invasion yeah, and but, well, that's hard and then of course some Looking of those people were happy we were there so it's, it's you got that element too you know there's there's yeah. so many hard lines that have been drawn throughout well, the whole history of the conflict you know the the two the two state solution has been proposed many times it's been it's been rejected by both sides when one side would want it the other side conveniently rejected it and the other side conveniently rejected it the next time you know will you do you have to get more support from uh, states in the region to solve it probably um, I, I don't know if if a country like Israel would ever uh, go to the table with that when when other countries fail to recognize them as a as more a, more as and more of nation. them have recently, though. And yeah, so and it's, it started piece. to get to that point, especially with the what they were calling the new Abraham Accords before everything happened. Mm-hmm. Can it exist in its current state of a, stu- a two-state solution? Probably not, because the the PLA president said he he would not want to manage Gaza anymore, you know, because of some of the issues there. So you have a leader. In, in the West Bank that doesn't want to take on the issues in Gaza anyway because of how strong Hamas is and entrenched in the region. So you have that issue. You have uh, Israel's having the right to defend itself in a, in a situation like that. You know, what would, what would any of us do or what would any country do in that situation? That's a yeah. tough one to... Don't you think that we set a precedent after 9-11 when Bush was like, we'll go into any country at any point, any time for any reason to, to hunt down terrorists? And then that just sort of now has become, I think that it seems like this model is playing out based on the model that we've made well, after the reaction yeah. to 9-11, perhaps. Yeah, probably so. And, you know, you touched on it earlier when you have, when you, when you kill, how many, how many enemies do you create when you kill, mm-hmm. when, you, when you kill one member of, say, an organization like Hamas? How many uh, future 
people yeah, because are you going to create? Their families are like Hamas. Most of the casualties has been like more than seventeen thousand. They haven't been the fighters. They've been more of like the women and children. So like these men who are joining Hamas, their their families are being killed, right? So they're gonna want to like avenge them, sort of, and that's kind of what's creating. So basically well, by and we had this conversation yeah. in class when we were studying here recently about blood feuds and retaliation mm-hmm. and where's the what and is there a way to to end that once it starts? That's that's not how do you how do you non emotionally now deal with the political realities so that you can get to a better spot where people can start to rebuild their lives if that's even possible? I don't know. Like this is it's not over. It's yeah, not gonna because, be over for a long time. No, and, and it's good lord. It's a it's at the a same time Hamas. If you don't do anything, they will attack again. They're, they they've already said that's what they just want to keep going until. Well, the they're, state they're, doesn't they're, listen, they're not the only extremist group in. Oh, Gaza. no. There's other in the region. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's so complicated. You've got other countries outside pumping in fuel, so to speak, not just weaponry, but I'm actually like angst to, to keep people driving on both sides of it. And yeah. I, so I don't know. I really. Even, yeah. Is there some sort of magic pill? Is there some sort of international pressure? Is there some sort of this moment where you go, you know what? We just can't keep doing this. That doesn't seem to be history, though, does it? That doesn't seem to be the history of anything, really. No. And you know, it's it's it, it just takes one extremist from either side. You know, when I was on my way here, I was listening to a news thing to where we are pulling. I guess we have a program in place where if you're an Israeli citizen, you can come to the United States and bypass the visa program. Well, now we're we're implementing a program for people coming from the West Bank, Israelis from the West Bank that are targeted. Or, or say they're extremists that we're not going to allow them in and skip the, you know, that's the, that might be the first step of getting there is to actually acknowledge that they are extremists on both sides of the issue. You know, you look at the Zionist movement of the, of the early yeah. 20th century and it's not, you know, not everyone was going there, you know, with a, with a knapsack and nothing to carry when they was going to Israel. I don't, I don't appreciate the people who who speak out in opposition to what's going on and they're automatically labeled as uh, anti-Semitic. I just don't think that... You, I, mm-hmm. I think that there is a, a differentiation between saying stop this violence in, especially against the individuals without somebody calling you anti-Semitic. I just don't think that you, those two things correlate automatically. And so we have to be careful with that too because there's a lot of there's a lot of noise, especially as protests go around our country, People are up in arms about this and, and pointing fingers saying, well, you're this or you're that. When really, I think a lot of it is about the humanitarian efforts that a lot of countries are wanting to, to offer. So, I don't, And what we need to keep in mind, and everybody knows this, no matter what event you're talking about, whether it's American Revolution, Civil War, this, Ukraine, most people are innocent. Most people just want to live their lives and provide for their families. And that's kind of the, the heartbreaking thing of all this. It's a minority movement in any of these events. And so you just hope... Innocent people. I'll say one more thing as we wrap this part of the thing up and then get to our last question. I I find it interesting that people who are all up in arms about what's happening and they'll say, well, uh, Israel has a right to defend itself. And and uh, and I'm not weighing in on that. I'm just saying the the hardcore people are chanting they they were attacked so they can do this. Those same people tend to be ignoring the plight of individuals in Ukraine as Russia is attacking and doing similar things and have been now for more than what? Is it, is it coming yeah, up on two, two years? years? Yeah, two years so I, that, I find that duality uh, interesting, the duplicity. I find that interesting. So, You know, it's, it's a question of, you know, technology. Yeah, and that's the, that's the hard part to, to when, you, when, you, when you say, and those numbers are absolutely true, Yasmin. Um, you know, but when you say these many people were killed, you know, if, if Israel did not have the technology that it has, would the numbers of their civilian casualties yeah. look the same way? That's what's that's what's sad about it, right? Yeah. Is, um, speaking about that, do you think that the United States could, should keep providing military aid to Israel as we keep going? It goes back to that military complex thing that Pumphrey was talking about a while ago. Like we we have people who have vested interest in people being at war, and yeah. and that's not going to get talked about a lot on the news, but it's definitely part of the story. And so if you stop f- funneling weaponry to all these different groups that we funnel money to and weapons all around the world. That actually hurts part of our thing. So that's a that's a very that, that's a another yeah, level. You know, of money too. money with no strings attached is usually a very bad thing, no matter what the situation is. You know, should we look closer at how that money is spent? Should we demand things to be done with that money? If Are we going back to the money? transparency talk? 
Well, yeah, the transparency talk. Yeah, in America, it still matters. Voting matters, and popular support matters. And when the popular support dries up, we do shift. I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again. So you know, that's why your voice is important because when public support ends, um, you know, politicians have to make a change. All right, we've got to wrap up real quick. They're waiting on us. Last couple questions. This is rapid fire. Uh, I'm Eric Lukens. Uh, So regarding the Israel versus Palestine, we hear pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. Is Mm -hmm. it a fair stance to say neither? Well, yeah. Yeah. First of all, yes. But people want to inject themselves into those stories, I guess. Yeah, especially if you haven't educated yourself about either situation. It's probably good to say neither. I think that's a great response for a lot of people. They should take that and go, I don't know, and Uh, neither. It's okay to say you don't know. I I say it every day. people would do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and last question. Okay, I'm Jack Krause, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but hypothetically, in the 1860s, if enough support was gathered in the House of Representatives, (laughs) not considering the Northern State majority at the time, could Lincoln uh, have been charged with obstruction of justice pursuant to the article... Pursuant to Article 2 of the Constitution for ignoring the Dred Scott v. Sanford case and waging war despite the court's holding. This one's on you. Humphrey? (laughs) Okay, so before he became president, you're talking about as a citizen. Or during his presidency. Or during his presidency. Okay, so Lincoln could have been charged for a lot. People don't look. I think Lincoln's the greatest president we ever had. But just briefly, he did suspend habeas corpus in Maryland. He threw people in jail without trials. He did a lot. Of, he used war powers, which we don't even know really what that was. He decided he needed them to do what he needed to do to preserve the Union. Uh, he caught, he took slaves away with the emancipation as an act of war. But after the war's over, shouldn't they be given back, or shouldn't the courts rule? There's a million little things in there. Obstruction you're talking about is the Supreme Court ruled in Dred Scott that slaves as property could be taken anywhere, and Lincoln just ignored that order. Similarly to Andrew Jackson, when Marshall said that you can't move Native Americans west, Jackson just ignored that order. So the only way, should he have been prosecuted by the letter of the law? Very possibly, but at the same time, that only happens if you lose control of Congress. Fortunately for Lincoln... All the southern states seceded, <laughs> as well as all their congresspeople. So all he had to deal with was northern Republicans, which elected him, so he didn't have to worry about it. But had they been full of secessionists, you might have seen an impeachment for Lincoln to just, you know, as obstruction of justice. But he got pretty lucky there having all re- Republicans. Well, I never thought about that much. <laughs> that is an eye opening statement. You know what? We are running a little long here. We appreciate everybody for coming out. Thank you so much, Collective Coffee. We appreciate you guys. Right, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody.